Warning, the following show is intended for mature audiences. Viewer discretion is advised. Welcome back. We are live. Coffee with the Johns. Friday, the 6th, August 6th. I was going to say, like, are you having problems <laughs> reading the date? August right 6th, 2020. And uh, we are back on Groundhog Day. So that's why it's not 2021, it's 2020 this year. Because eviction moratoriums, uh, COVID shutdowns, oh. going back to wearing masks, talks of stimulus, talks of all this. I was like, deja vu, anybody? I was like, <laughs> did we just get like a small little break and now it's like right back at it? Here we go again, My deja vu. God, uh, the, all the news this past week or so, I was like, huh. 2020 all over again. Here we go. Everybody start buying toilet paper again. So, yeah, it's been a, a very interesting week. A, a lot of changes, a lot of things are happening, especially in the real estate market that we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about the extensions of the eviction moratoriums, how that's going to affect you guys, how you need to prepare for it. Um, you know, and it's just so much in the market, so much in the in the economy happening that you got to stay aware. You got to stay, you know, Paying attention to what the heck is going on. Um, with that being said, how's your week? Been a kind of like a crazy week, busy as hell. Wet. Wet, yeah. <laughs> this this yeah. <laughs> this summer has been nuts. Yeah. And I mean, and it's like the problem with it is like, and it hasn't been just like little light drizzles. No, it's been like torrential downpours followed by consistent rain for like three hours. We're like, yeah, I can wait out a storm if it's only gonna just blow through and be fine. But when it's like, no, it's huge and it stays and it moves slow. And it's like, well, I can't have guys just sitting around for four hours because a lot of construction crews, like, they pay by the hour. They're like, I can't afford to be here for four hours paying them not doing anything, even though, yeah, I might be able to get them back. But it's like, or do something in the afternoon, but that four hours kills me. Yeah. So it's like, I'd just rather chalk up the whole day as a loss and go. But on our side, it's like, my interest payments don't care if it's raining or not. Those things are daily. Yeah. And I was like... February snowstorm. Just I still was paying interest every single day on my side, even though like yeah, we, nobody. We, we could don't do get shit a rain a day. Don't get a no. you know. Hey, <laughs> can we take it's today off because of weather? Yeah, um, that's why being a lender is, if you're doing it right, is very beneficial, right? I mean, oh, you look at the banks. I mean, look who's winning in this yeah. uh, whole ordeal right now, where it's like, or moratoriums ended or extended, extended even further, extended even further, but the foreclosures didn't stop. And it's like those have ended. So now, like as a landlord, like I haven't been getting paying rent for twelve months and or longer, and I can't evict these people to get somebody in to help payment. The rent assistance isn't coming through fast enough. And it's like, well, now what the do I do? The bank, they're protected. Their interest keeps accruing, 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 accruing. Oh yeah. And they're like now and they're, they're back by the asset even, with the real prices through the roof. Like the landlord, you're and the screwed. feds, the government, they're all coming in. Pretty much selling the banks. Don't worry about it. We'll take care of you if you get into any trouble. So it's like, yeah, why not? Um, well, uh, yeah, the weather's been sucky to say the least. Um, we have that new build that we got over here on the north side, and we're got lumber delivered and everything. So hopefully, you guys start working. I know over here they don't really like working when it's raining, so it's gonna be one of those like. Well, right. that's what I was saying. It's like, it's not just raining. Like, no, it's pouring for a consistent period of time. We're like, yeah, you can't set walls when 
the wind's blowing and it's raining where you can't even see a couple hundred feet yeah. in front of you. It's like, that's a lot of water. It's like, skill all your tools outside, like, can't be And then we have on. also the new builds downtown, uh, and we're doing all exterior work now, the roads, the, the landscaping, all those things. So, I mean, this level of rain... This sucks. Yeah, so we got to build a retaining wall and do some a lot of landscaping and stuff like that. But it's like you can't get behind the house with a skid steer when it's just caked in mud everywhere to build a retaining wall. So uh, you mentioned something that we just learned um, that was interesting. Is what what is it with the whole? We thought it was a year. Now it's six. Oh, months. so the city used to be if they have twelve months of inactivity on a permit, they the, you have to pay a fifty percent fee of your original cost to extend the project. It used to be 12 months. Well, they just shortened it down to six months without really telling anybody because it's like they don't have a big bulletin board that put out a lot of really useful information from the city when it comes to that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden they just kind of changed an internal policy and it's in the fine print of all your documents and everything like that that you sign that nobody reads, like kind of like your terms and conditions of like any kind of Apple update. Nobody reads those. Uh, and then all of a sudden, like, we're looking at it and they're like, your permits are expired. Like, what do you mean they're expired? It's like, you haven't had any activity six, six months. Like, okay. It's like, well, we just shortened it from 12 months to six months. Like, so what's that mean? It's like, well, now you have to pay 50% of your original permit fees to renew it for another six months. And it's like, mm. uh, knowing now, it's like, man, and we're to the point where all we need is our final inspections. But it's got to, it's just ridiculous. That's like, so we should have just called in a final knowing we're going to fail it to pay the $50 reinspection fee just so we have quote unquote activity on our job sites to move forward. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things that you told me that I was like, what a slick way of doing another, another money grab because they're not telling you about it, right? Nobody really knows about it. It's just one of those things that's like, Oh, here, surprise. Here you go. Well, that's just one thing. Like, when uh, we have uh, a, a colleague that says, like, he wanted to get into the city to help fix the problem, but they know there's a problem and they, they're fine with it because yeah. they see it as a profit center, especially now the city being short on revenue and this big boom in construction and stuff like that. The city's going after the developers to take their money or to make more money off the developers. Yeah. And it's like, Everyone gets mad. Like we always talk about, it. everyone gets mad at the developers for making too much money. It's like, no, 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 no. Just because it seems like we're making more money, the city, everybody's right behind us, wanting to tack on their well, gimme fees. Isn't all that the, way. the misconception, too? It's like, oh, you're a real estate investor, you're a developer, therefore you are filthy rich and you're making a killing. Where it's like, no, no. that's not the truth at all. Like, we, yes, we invest in real estate. Most of the time, it's money that we're, we are borrowing to buy that real estate, renovate that real estate, and do all that. And then what comes back to us is very small compared to the overall numbers that we use. Like just because we're doing, let's say, a $200,000 project, it does not mean that we are walking away with $200,000. Like no. our profit splits are very small compared to that. Our risk is very big compared to that. Yeah. The amount of work well, that we have so to I do. I think it's like we're taking all the risk, have to pay all the fees and fines yeah. and then hope we get a squeak out a profit in the end. And we just like, and it's still the real estate industry that like, yeah, it's, it's a slow moving industry, but on the resale side, like it can change very quickly. So but we're the greedy ones. Yeah. We're the greedy ones. We're, we're the greedy. We're, we're the, the greedy ones, ones that cause the, the prices to go up. We're the ones that makes every, you know, real estate rents. Everything's the, so what expensive. The, what's, that, what's that? The scapegoat. It's like yeah. everybody points to the developers. Everybody says the developers doing it because they're the ones that are selling the house. They're the ones building jobs. They're the ones doing all well, the stuff. They're it, so the ones doing everything bad. You saying that. 
don't you think it's because it's for a politician to blame us? They understand that people want to believe a politician over an investor because if they don't believe the politician, doesn't that make it a much scarier world for the people? Because then it's like, no, it's not the rich people or the developers that's the problem. It's you guys that's the problem. Then it's like, shit, then what do we do? Like, you guys pretty much run the country. Mm -hmm. So if it's you that's the problem, that means that I have to do more work to elect you. Yeah, let's let's blame the millionaires in the pot in the in the developers. Fuck them. It's their problem. <laughs> They're the issue. Yeah. No, it really it really sucks. Uh but that's just something we lose because that's just now it's a, it's just another cost. Yeah. It's another fee. It's another more BS because now they've gotten much more strict on their inspections, unlike what they want to see. And you're like, why would you put that there? There's no code that says that, but the inspector wants it. So it's like but you don't so what waste time fighting with the inspector or just do it so you just do it because fighting the inspector even though you know you're right you're not going to win that battle yeah for sure so so very difficult let me ask you you just did the um the market update for san antonio it just came out wednesday um if you haven't seen it make sure to text market to 210-794-9898 and you can get a copy of uh, the market update along with the zip codes, along with all the data, all the slides, everything. But in that market update, what are you seeing? Are you seeing any changes? Are, are you seeing a, a, a vis um, an actual slowdown? What are you seeing? Did you see anything different? No, not from the month of uh, not from the month of like June and July and stuff like that. I mean, prices are still up. Sale. I mean, the only thing is like sales volume hasn't increased year over year that much like it had in the past but it's also one of the things it's like but that's also I, I go into detail on that too just like the same thing we talk about it's like why is inventory short is it just because like sales volume is going down and there's just not that many people posting it so who knows uh so that i think the cause is like what we talked about it's like but sales volumes are increasing yeah. so it's like people are still listing their houses and there's more houses being up for sale and the inventory is still minuscule Right. So that shows that there is still massive buyer demand and there's still an outstripping demand of buyers and not enough sellers. There has not been a cool down in buyers for the recovery to, or, or the inventory to recover. So it, it would be the opposite if it's like, oh, the reason there's no inventory is we're 50% of the sales is nobody's selling their houses. No, the same pace as it was this time last year when the boom really took off and 2019 were higher than that. So sales volume are increasing and the buyers are still there. They're still paying these prices. So that's one thing like I'm really looking at in these market updates is over year over year sales sales and our inventory. So until I see those sales volume starting to drop off year over year mm -hmm. and the inventory starting to increase, that's when I'm going to say, okay, now there's actually starting something to happen where it's like things are going to start cooling off. Prices have gotten too high and buyers are not willing to pay because you see a lot of articles that are saying buyers are getting fatigued, they're burning out and everything like that. But it's like, it's still not showing up in the data. And that might be what's happening because it's also, we didn't go from three months inventory down to one overnight. And it's like, we had a huge demand that bought up a shitload of housing it dropped our inventory. And then now the inventory is coming back. The sale volume is coming back, but the buyers haven't stopped buying yeah. to allow that inventory to recover. So there is competition in the housing because now throw on the market, it's gone. So, well, that's one thing that we, we hear, you know, everybody's saying the market's cooling. And this is the thing that I think investors need to keep in mind is the market is slowing down. The market is cooling. 
that's to me those are very vague and broad terms to use it's like what market what area what price range you know what i mean because that's where it really matters like when people and usually it's more uh newer investors are getting into the market that may not quite understand how the market works they're saying they hear this oh the market is cooling oh okay so maybe maybe nothing like what does that mean you got to ask yourself what does that mean to you the market is cooling we're not seeing it, right? Where we are, where we're investing, we're not seeing that. Could it be higher price points are cooling off? What does cooling even mean? Because pre-pandemic, we were in a really hot real estate market. So what does cooling mean? That it just cools from where it's at now that people are extremely overpaying for houses and then it's going to go down to people just snatching up houses like they were pre-pandemic? I mean, we're not talking about like a complete you know, oh, the market's going to flatline or anything like that. We're talking about like, what does it mean that the market is cooling? You know what I mean? So those are the things that I think you and I discussed in the last mastermind is like, what does it mean to you? You know what I mean? You got to actually be a little bit more educated and run your numbers and understand where is the market cool, right? It, it's it is something to like I, I haven't seen it show up in any data in san antonio in any of the price ranges or any of the zip codes i mean the only changes are compared to traditionally what it was it's no longer lowest inventory is kind of on the north side of the city it's very sporadic because um where some of these areas have started really developing that are on amongst the lower price ranges yeah so what do you want to what do you feel like getting into we have real estate we have the economy and some business news we have the market well let's start with real estate and these more these moratorium stuff because you got several articles on that and i know that was kind of big news uh this bit. year a little bit so all right so we have uh for those of you that may not know we had the federal eviction moratoriums they're expiring and when was it they were expiring i believe uh why yeah, it's supposed to be July 31st. So it was weekend. July 31st. They were expiring, right? So President Biden announced on Tuesday a temporary halt on evictions in many parts of the uh, of the country. But the initiative did not specify additional relief for homeowners who have fallen behind on mortgages because of the pandemic. Lenders can proceed with foreclosures, especially for borrowers who have abandoned their properties. So... So if you have abandoned your property and you haven't done anything, you will get foreclosed on. The Consumer Financial Protection Bureau says that if you receive forbearance under the CARES Act, you are still experiencing financial hardship because of the pandemic. You may be entitled to ask for and receive an extension, but you need to ask for assistance. It won't happen automatically. You need to contact your mortgage servicer. And uh, the, Biden, the Biden administration has extended the forbearance enrollment window through September 30th for government-backed loans. About 75% of all mortgages are government-backed loans. So that's a huge percentage. I honestly didn't think it was that high that were government-backed uh, government loans. If you're still experiencing financial trouble starting August 31st, most mortgage servicers must tell you about repayment or other options when they reach out and when they reach out to you according to the CFPB rule that has been updated in light of the pandemic. So watching uh, the watchdog agency says that expect in limited circumstances, servicers can't start the foreclosure process 
before January 1st of 2022. The servicer has to reach out to you first, examine your situation, and then explore options. And these options are from reinstatement, where you pay it all back in a lump sum, payment plan, higher payments to uh, pay back over a period of time, deferral, you moved missed payments to the back of the loan, resume making old payments, and loan modification, changing the terms of the loan to achieve a lower payment. The last two options are the ones most consumers will use to exit forbearance. If none of these options are doable, you could sell your home. So this is uh, regarding the forbearance and the um, foreclosure and everything that's happening that's slowing down. And this is something that you and I talked about plenty of times in the previous months. When people say, you know, oh, well, this is going to expire at this time. Yeah, maybe. Because as we see, you know, oh, we're not going to extend it. We're, and even Biden, when he came in, we are ending this for sure at the, you know, one of them was at the end of September. The other one, we're ending well, it this year. So this is, the, this is designed to be the last. This is, this is anticipated being the last one. Yeah. And then, like, even the CDC came out, like, this is going to be the last one. I still don't know how they got away with it because I had the article from last week that literally said that, it was deemed unconstitutional, needed to take an act of Congress. Yep. It was illegal for them to do, but somehow they were able to do it again. Yeah. I was like, hold on. Like, they literally just wrote an opinion. Uh, Brett Kavanaugh did saying, like, from what I see, they overstepped their legal authority because these are not elected officials. And, like, it needs to go through Congress and be very specific legislation that states these things are continuing. Yeah. So I think that's just one of the things that, like, yeah, they may have put out another moratorium, but I think I bet like some states like like Texas or Florida, everyone were like, yeah, screw that. We're proceeding. And like, like the Supreme Court's already come out and said that, even though there might be some court battles that change it. But like the Supreme Court is kind of lean that if this made it all the way with a court case, it, they would be the Supreme Court rule in our favor that you can't deem that. So we're going to go ahead and continue and proceed. I haven't seen anything come of that yet of uh anything here in texas but i could see something like that coming out i agree and then well so that's the forbearance period for mortgages and everything and now we got the eviction period for rents so it's pretty much the the cdc uh issued a new eviction moratorium that will protect most renters until at least october 3rd so the cdc original eviction moratorium which had been in effect since September, expired July 31st, leaving the, uh, the more than 11 million Americans who continue to be behind on their rent at risk. Three days later, the health agency announced a new band that will be in effect for 60 days in areas where COVID rates remain high. A new order covers renters in areas experiencing substantial and high levels of uh, COVID cases. On the CDC's website, you can check the levels, some 80% of counties in the country should be covered. You'll lose uh, the protection if your county has 14 consecutive days that fell below those levels. <laughs> in addition, uh, you need to attest that, you'll, that you've experienced a financial hardship during the, uh, the pandemic, you've applied for rental assistance, and that the eviction could lead to you becoming homeless. Or needing to double up with others. So, I mean, these are the things that, to me, they're just so, so vague as to what 
you need to even qualify well, for one. Well, it's like, yeah, if things. I can't afford this apartment, I have to go move in with my parents. Oh, there you go. Double up. No good. Yeah, because, I mean, is that even true? Well, how do you just... How do you how do you know that that's true or not? You sign an affidavit, John. Nobody lies in those. Nobody lies. No, everybody's so honest. But Congress has allocated more than forty-five billion dollars in rental assistance to address this crisis, and only a sliver of the money has been sent uh, has been spent so far. If you're approved for relief, you could get up to eighteen months of rent covered. So that's pretty much the whole pandemic. They they will cover your rent. At least four states, Massachusetts, Nevada, New York, and Oregon, are temporarily banning evictions against those with a rental assistant application pending. So you just need an application pending for that to, to ban the eviction. You know what I mean? Like, just submit the application, now they can't evict you. Yeah. So that, that's another thing. In addition to the CDC's ban on evictions, a number of states and cities have moratoriums and other protections for renters uh renters in jersey for example can't be kicked out of their home until january if your landlord has moved to evict you try to get a lawyer you can find low cost or free legal help with an eviction proceeding in your state um, in some places including washington maryland and connecticut tenants facing eviction now have the right to counsel so this is a very, very big problem for landlords everywhere. I mean, this is a huge issue as far as like, all you need is to submit an application and they can't evict you. That's it. Like that's, as long as you have an application in that's pending, doesn't have to be approved, nothing. As long as an application is in, they cannot well, evict you. And then you. it's also that that money and those processes are so yeah. slow because we have a tenant going through just for a month and i mean she's good everything's fine now but they're going through that process and it's just been ridiculous for her she's like constant communication so like hey i'm calling i sit on the hold for like an hour i finally got a hold of somebody after weeks and they said oh your application's being waited is waiting to be reviewed by somebody like whoever they're whatever they're calling their people that go through and review the applications to see what the process is to make sure you are valid for rental assistance and it's like and there's such a huge backlog of it and we come back to it again nobody's wanting to go back to work for these things in these positions so there are all these job openings that they can't staff up and the state isn't like the federal government is like well just give it to everybody if you applied you're good so they're actually reviewing these applications reviewing their situations contacting the tenant the landlord and verifying that this person is there like looking after this money like are you just trying to cheat the system or are you actually needing this? So, I mean, it's nice to see that they're actually doing that, yeah. but then it's also one of the things that like, you're still putting it on the landlords. Like, well, we understand that you're waiting, but Mr. Landlord, you just have to continue to wait. And it's like, well, now these banks can start foreclosing on me. I don't, I'm not covered by a moratorium anymore. And you guys are waiting. It's like 18 months. I have 18 months of back rent, 18 months of payments. And that interest compounds and starts going backwards. Like, even if I get that in there, it's like, that's still not going to cover the reinstatement of things. So, hey, podcast, thank you for listening. I hope you're enjoying the show. And if you want to get very exclusive insider tips and strategies that nobody else is getting, then you need to join our text community by texting podcast to 210 794 9898. 
That's 210-794-9898. Text the word podcast and you will start receiving insider information, things that are happening that we're realizing that we're implementing in real time that other people have no access to. So make sure you text us now. Now back to this show. Yeah, no, it's a very difficult situation that a lot of, and don't get me wrong, like I, it's not that I don't feel for the tenants because I think it's a an extremely terrible situation for tenants as well where they've been applying, they've been calling, they've been beating down the door trying to get some assistance that, you know, they have billions of dollars out for this assistance, yet nobody can get it. Nobody can get access. The money doesn't get released. You know, we talked about that lady in Vegas uh, last week that she has like, I think like nine grand coming to her, mm -hmm. and yet it's... She's still waiting and she's still probably going to get kicked out of her home before they even the nine grand come through. Right. So it's, it's terrible on both ends. Um, and the only ones that's just like, do 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 is the freaking government yeah. and all these city seats. Yeah. I mean, but, the, 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 she told she was told that it's like, Hey, uh, I was like, but judging by your situation, the landlord's got the letter to you. They've got everything to you. It's like, uh, we won't pay all the late fees and stuff like that, but we'll pay the full rents. Right. So we have to, the landlord has to agree to waive fees and stuff in order to get that apparently, which is like, okay, that's fine. Um, and, and it's just one of those. It's like, but it's like, but how long do you have to wait? Yeah. Well, on that note, we actually have, uh, <laughs> only one day, only one day after Biden administration issued a new policy protecting renters from eviction, a series of real estate and lower lord groups is trying to invalidate it, setting up another legal showdown over the moratorium that Democrats say is essential to keeping Americans in their home. So the petition arrived Wednesday from groups including the Alabama Association of Realtors. And its counterpart in Georgia. I don't know why. I just would not picture Alabama being the the one the, leading up the, the charge. I don't like, know. Oh, here we go. We're here to get a bit <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, But yeah, so you, its counterpart in Georgia arguing the latest eviction order issued by Center for the CDC exceeds the agency's authority. The group asked the federal judge in D.C. to halt the new protections citing the uh, the district court's prior ruling that that found the government's first eviction ban to be unlawful the filing uh, in filing a new loss a new legal salvo I don't know if uh, that makes sense to anybody listening what salvo is uh, so filing the new legal salvo the real estate landlord and protection management groups at time cite the White House own previous admission that it did not have the authority to issue another ban. For days, the president's top aides had insisted they needed Congress to draft legislation, only uh, to cave amid pressure from Democrats as they struggled to pass the law. In its uh, legal filing, however, realtor and landlord groups described the policy not as a new moratorium, but as an extension of the past approach that the judge had invalidated. It argues the CDC caved to political pressure and did so without providing any legal basis for its actions. Critically, the CDC knew that the White House had repeatedly stated the new legislation was necessary to extend the moratorium given the absence of executive legal authority. Um, Congress tries but failed to enact a legislative extension in reliance on those representations Yet, rather than accept that 
as final word under the constitutional system, which the White House initially appeared, the CDC extended the moratorium anyway. So, and then this is what I found interesting, is like Biden on Tuesday appeared to anticipate the legal challenge, telling reporters in the hours before the CDC issued its new directive that some of the scholars he uh, consulted did not feel the policy comported with the U.S. Constitution. But Biden and other Democrats maintained that it was worth trying anyway, particularly since the federal government has struggled to dis disperse roughly $46 billion in federal aid to renters at risk of losing their homes. So the way they're looking at it is, yes, this isn't going to pass and it doesn't hold any legal right, but while they fight it, it's given us enough time yeah. to... That's what it's like. It, it's, it's a stumbling block. That's what I'm... you reading that, it's like, that's what... I know that's one thing that they did. It's like, they changed the moratorium. It wasn't just a ban on evictions. For no reasons. But now it's like, oh, no, but it's because of this. It's because of that. We have to have this qualification. Have that. They added a whole bunch of the layers to it saying, like, okay, we don't have blanket authority, but do we have specific authority? And it's like, and that hasn't been ruled against that. That's illegal. So now hearing that, it's like, so that's how they did it. And it's like, they know it's probably, it's going to be still wrong. If they don't have the blanket authority, they're not sure as hell don't have the specific authority, but there's enough of a legal discrepancy to be like, well, but we got this. We can try. So it leaves some states kind of like, so if you go through the legal proceeding, is this now legal to do it that way? Yeah. That law hasn't been written or been opinionated on on that aspect. So now that it's kind of thing where they're all just like, yeah, we don't think it's real, but it's up to the states to decide. But I can definitely still see some states backing the general public being like, no, nah, we're going to back the people. We're going to trust that or allow it to happen and say, yes, we'll allow our judges to proceed those, but landlord proceed at your own risk. Yeah. Well, th that's something that I was, because I was trying to see, okay, because Texas is different, right? At Texas or like Florida, they, they've, they got rid of uh, the eviction moratorium, like I think a whole month earlier from when it was supposed to expire and all these things. And, or, or even longer. I think it was when like Kavanaugh came out and said that, uh, his opinion on it saying it was unconstitutional, but they're going to allow it to stand since it's only 30 days away from expiring. If you right. it's going to expire in a few weeks, but we have, we th believe that it is illegal. And I think that's probably when they stepped up and said, all right, uh, they've opinionated that it, it is illegal, even though it's still in effect, go for it. Cause we don't see a lawyer going all the way up and being like, yeah, it wasn't we'll a, it for that. Yeah. It's like, yeah. it's in fight or like it's in effect, but they've opinionated that like if it, something got all the way to them, they would rule saying like, yeah, it was in effect, but it was that was illegal anyways. Well, so in the in the research of trying to see how does Texas differ from, you know, all of these things, like I said, if somebody has filed for the for the application to get assistance and everything, uh a lot of judges and everything, if there's an application in place, they're going to actually stop the eviction process for that application to go through. In Texas, judges haven't been uh paying attention to that. Or as they put it in this one article, they've kind of been ignoring that. So if the landlord doesn't want to say, you know, doesn't look at the tenant's application and say, okay, fine, I'll, I'll wait, you know, until your application goes through and all that. And the landlord saying, no, I want to evict. Judges here in Texas are evicting. They're authorizing, they're allowing that thing to happen mm. because like we talked about, you know, the, what landlords are going through, it is crazy. Texas has, uh, I believe, yeah, in this article it said how Texas has $2 billion in emergency rental assistance. 
So they have $2 billion. Out of that $2 billion, $1.3 was set aside for, for the relief program. And we know that there's people that have been waiting for months and still haven't received anything. Yeah. So you have this is being spread across 40 Texas cities. Um, it's, it's insane. It's crazy how you know, expensive and out of control this is getting. And then what's, what's really crazy is that $2 billion has been allocated to Texas. Out of the two billion, seven hundred million, yeah, seven hundred million has been allocated to the cities to be able to staff up and do all this. Yet they still haven't been able to. They still haven't been able to help people. They still haven't been able to get the money out. So it's this whole in between thing. And then you have judges that people are saying, you know, these judges need to be disciplined and and you know and kicked out and everything because they're allowing people to get evicted. And it's like, well. If the landlord wants to evict and the application hasn't gone anywhere, then we're going to well, allow the eviction one of those, it, it, it goes to, from a landlord's perspective and, and a tenant and stuff like that, uh, to where, like the relationship between your landlord and you and your property manager and stuff like that. And like how important it is to not only vet the house you want to live in, but then the management in itself too. And it's really kind of hard to do. That's where like... I'm not a big fan of the property managers and stuff because they're very, uh, I, I don't know what the word would be, but it's like they're very business by the book kind of property managers where landlord, they like, well, I can work with you. I, you own it or individual right. person, stuff like that. Um, to where like, at least from a tenant perspective, like you have a problem, reach out to your landlord ASAP. Constant communication with your landlord goes a long way. Saying like, hey, um, here's the issue I'm having. This is the problem I'm having. And this is how I'm going to resolve it. And that's one thing we always talk about. Like if a contractor calls me, like, don't call me with just a problem. Call me with the problem. And what are the potential solutions to that problem? Because then you put it on me and I was like, I got to figure out your problem for you. So that's where like, and to where I look at from our perspective, and if a tenant comes and says, I have an issue, um, this is what it is, but I, I'm willing to work as like, I, I'm, I'm going to try to go with the rental assistance, but I don't know how long it's going to take, but I don't want to keep getting further and further behind. So I'm going to make, I'm going to try to make payments. And it's like, I, I lost my job for a little bit. I have a new job, but I, I have a, a gap in between here of car payments. It's like, I can't lose a car because then I can't get to work. And it's like, okay, I understand that. And it's like, I'm going to start making payments every month, every week, just to kind of try to do this. And hopefully I can get a couple months of rental assistance in between there. But if not, I, I, I will try to make up all this back and pieces. I think that would have been good. I don't know, four months ago. I think at this point, you know this is happening, right? Like, no, it, people, I doubt there's a lot of people that have started falling behind on the rents in the last few months. I'm sure a lot of them have been behind on the rents for months now. You know what I mean? If not, well over a year. So my thing is, like, what we talk about on the show, right? You got to take responsibility. So as a landlord, your tenant's been falling behind. You also need to kind of Work and figure out how it is that you can help your own tenant, right? How can you help yeah. that tenant out? How can you, hey, there are the, and this is something that you and I spoke about when the pandemic first started. Like you, as the landlord, reach out to your tenant. How are you doing? Are you having trouble? Are you having issues? Here are the, uh, the programs and everything from the city that can help you out. Mm -hmm. You apply to this. 
What do you need? Do you need help? Do you need uh, any assistance trying to figure that well, out? Because like you need documents from your landlord. It's like whatever yeah. you need, I will willing to provide to you. Because like I don't want to evict somebody and kick them out. Yeah. I was like, because then there's even though I might be able to get somebody in, it's like this is the process. Like I don't. It's like I don't want to be a slumlord or an asshole uh, about that. And I would feel like one, especially if the tenant's reaching out and saying I have a problem, I'm working to fix it. Now, if this the caveat to this would be if you're just like. I'm going to use this opportunity just to kick back and relax and what money I do get. I'm going to go spend it on other things instead of trying to pay my background because this rental assistant thing is going to come through. If you're trying to milk it, I would proceed as like, hey, uh, I get your situation, but no, you're not even attempting to pay. You're not attempting to go get a job because you're waiting for a new, better opportunity. You're like, ah, I don't want to go work there. It's like, no, I'm sorry. That's not how life works. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and proceed with that. So I could see the opposite side of that. But if you got somebody that's like had an issue, I presented it, I'm making payments to try to make up what I can. And I'm going to take, I'm going to get a new job. I got a new job, secured it. It just got to cover this gap in between. It's like, okay, you're actually working and you're actually doing this how I think it's supposed to be used for. I'm not going to mess with you. I'm going to work with you. But if you're just going to sit back and just relax and spend a lot oh, of time on Netflixing. That, that's the point that you made too earlier is with property managers, property managers, they have their, you know, their way of operating that they're like, well, once you hit this marker, then we start this process, which goes here. You as the landlord, as the actual owner of the property, you're the one that needs to step in as outside of your property manager and just be like, Hey, are we reaching out to our tenants? Are we providing them with enough resources, enough help, enough assistance that we are not right now 18 months in the hole hoping for some miracle to come about you understand because i think landlords that have gotten into this and and if you are if you have gotten into trouble i would love for you to reach out and let me know what happened did you not act quick enough or did something happen that was out of your control you know because those are the things that we just don't understand because we you know the people that we know that are landlords and everything they haven't gone through that. They have taken action. They were proactive. And luckily, they avoided any major issues. So when you see all this and you're seeing all these landlords getting, you know, hammered, it's like, what? how? How are you getting hammered? What have you not done that put you in this situation? Now, I know there are areas that's like, no, I did everything I could. And the way the city and the politics and everything lays out, I always stand to lose. Um, I don't know. I think it's a, it's a very tough situation. And, but one of the things that we talk about all the time is the forbearance period, the eviction moratoriums, they keep coming out with ways of extending, of pushing, you know, even forbearances, let's say foreclosures start ticking up and it's like, no, actually a lot of people are falling into foreclosure. What are they going to do next to prevent that? You know, they, they've shown that they'll do whatever needs to be done to protect that. So what is that next thing? Don't be so, you know, I think uh, delusional and thinking, no, no, they, they, they just, you know, they're going to stop. They can't keep going. Why? What makes you think that? Oh, that just now I, I realize it's like they will bend the law any which way to hold on to it until every resource has gone through because it's, it's a stumbling block. They all admit it. Everyone says it. They all know it's not going to stand. But there are still people that are like, too risk adverse me like eh, yeah but i'm still not gonna risk i'm not gonna take the chance yeah so so what do you got i'm i'm done with all that oh here's here's a good one for you and i thought this one was uh interesting um texas ranks high 
but behind California as a destination for remote workers looking to move. So one thing that's great is great for real estate industry and real estate pricing and stability is a growing population. Population that decline is god awful for an economy in any certain area or stagnant population. Uh, you need to have growing, you need to have new housing stock, and that's what brings the builders is an expanding um, population. So this is one of the great things of Texas is we are a very desirable state or to move to. So a new national survey indicates Texas is high on the list to, for remote workers locate looking to relocate in the next 18 months. The Lone Star State ranked fifth out of 50 states. Decreased cost of living. This, this is what I, I thought of you when I saw this. You're like, <laughs> whatever, bullshit. So reasons to move. Decreased cost of living. The climate. Meeting new people in affordable house top the list for reasons for the strong interest in Texas. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the climate's everyone. <laughs> yep. According to the survey released by Make My Move, a remote work community connecting connection marketplace, at least 11% of workers who went remote due, due to the pandemic expressed desire to move to a new city or town within the next 18 months would likely choose Texas. California at 21%, followed by Florida at 20 New York at 13.45, and Georgia at 11.34. I was really surprised to see New York on there as a destination to play because you look at georgia california and florida texas very good temperate weather very mm -hmm. nice it doesn't have the like a lot of snow it doesn't get cold or anything like that and then but like new york being up there is like how do people move to new york is what am i hearing well, people are leaving new york people are leaving well, California. people leave new york because of politics and business not because of the weather like yeah it gets cold but not many people are bothered by the cold as much as you know, like all the old people that moved to Texas and Florida. Yeah. Like a lot of people, New York is a gorgeous place. You know, you have anything outside of the city, which is considered upstate New York. Um, it's beautiful. You have massive mountains, yeah. rivers, lakes, everything. Like you have actual trees and all those things. That's like, it's a beautiful place. It's just that, yeah, when you add the politics. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like even the politics and the taxes of New York. Oh, yeah. It's like, that's crazy. Terrible. So, but this is where I really thought of it. He's like, of respondents who chose Texas, 50% cited a desire for a decreased cost of living and a different climate. So hmm. that was one of the 50% of people said, I just like the climate and the decreased cost of living. Uh, nationally, the survey found that 29% of COVID remote workers say that they are either likely or somewhat likely to move to a new city or town in the next 18 months while continuing to work remotely. And while 43% cite moving ex expenses as a barrier to relocate, 50% of all those surveyed said they would consider permanent relocating if offered $10,000 and the community has the amenities they are seeking. For those remote Workers considering a move to Texas, more than 80% said they would move to a new city for $10,000 if the community had the amenities they wanted. So my question to you would be like, how good of a investment would that be for remote workers if cities like, I'll give you 10 grand if you move here, and knowing 80% of people would do that. And we're fifth as far as a desired place to move for relocation. I think it's an excellent play. I mean, how, we've seen it before. Yeah. We've seen it with other places. It's like, well, what do you stand to lose, though? You know what I mean? Because even paying that and all that with the labor shortages that we have, bringing more people to work here. Well, I also look at it. It's like 
well, these are remote workers, so not people to work here. But it's also just think of it like, who is your typical remote worker? There's somebody usually related to the tech industry, to a sales industry, to an industry they can do afar. These aren't people that are making Wait, waiters. <laughs> yeah, they're not people making twenty bucks an hour. They're not people that are making thirty grand, forty grand a year. It's like no, these people are in by themselves the median household income or by far above it. To where like you can look at some of these tech workers from even with their decline in pay of twenty percent, they're still making six figures here. Yeah. So that's big capital income because when you look at uh in a, what makes a, a city grow in like a hot spot it's the ability to attract capital from outside your local place that's yeah. why new york and like la and san francisco or why san francisco is so big is because they're able like google and everybody there that works there makes money from everywhere else around the world so all that money from around the world's funneling to silicon valley and paying their employees and then their employees increase living and spend locally mm -hmm. to where if you're able to bring somebody from over here making six figures from california that money's going from around the world from google through silicon valley routing here to texas and it's spent locally so that brings up all the cost of living and investments into the city small businesses benefit from that because the money is being spent here and it's staying here yeah. so that is one thing that i think is very uh, beneficial i could see cities really it's like they should be really investing like what do remote workers want what do we need to be to be a destination city for people to live here and i think san antonio do have does have a lot of assets and some of our major metros as far as things to do we have a low much lower cost of living we have um we have river walks we have roads you can actually get around in you can drive to austin you can drive to the hill country we have multiple different things that you can go do basically year-round so you just gotta not be okay with like yeah. okay it gets hot okay my god but you can <laughs> no, go outside but also, all year I, honestly i've been here going on eight years um the amount of things and options you have in San Antonio and around San Antonio has increased tremendously. Especially if you have you a know. family, like a very yeah. family. Cause that's um, one thing uh, my girlfriend and I were talking about towards like, uh Oh, talk about a family. No, uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's getting red folks. Uh, no, what we're talking about is like how everything here is very family oriented yes. around stuff to where it's like, Hey, if you're in your, and that, that's one thing I think the cities should invest in, or especially San Antonio, because uh, I know if you go to Austin, you have much different amenities to where it's like, if you are an older adult that's saying like, all right, you've hit a little stride in your career, you have some expendable income, like what are your options to go do for entertainment at a decent cost? Or it's like, there's things to do, but a lot of it is still very kid oriented because we went out to Natural Bridge Caverns and they got a, a ropes course and some like zip line thing out there. And it's like, it was cool. It was fun. It's like, but there's a lot of little kids yeah. to where that's something like, like 12 and under would just have a ball doing that stuff. Because it is, it is fun. You're three, four stories up in the sky, and you get to go swing from one tower to the next and things like that. It's a very cool experience. Um, I mean, it's fun to do as you're older, too, but it's like as the younger you are, like the, how much more fun that would be. To where there's like a, not a lot of things that as like the adult, it's like you have a few things, but not as much as, say, um, like California well, would have. Isn't, as far as isn't a, Austin kind of like the adult playground? 
right? Well, that's what I said. Like Austin, Austin has those things for that, right. but like San Antonio doesn't really. It's like San Antonio is a very family oriented aspect where um, we just represented somebody that works from California. They're, him and his wife work remote and they have two kids and they said, screw it. We're out of California. We're done with this place. And they moved here. And so that same thing. They work, their employers are out in California, but they live here because they work remote and they have a family. Yep. And so and they love it before their kids. They love the freedom. They love the fact that how much land they actually got here for the price that they paid with the amenities that come with it for their kids. So, well, and that's why like, kind of going back to that same topic that a lot of people are always saying, you know, uh, Texas is overvalued. Texas is in a bubble. Why? You know, what's making you think that? Because as far as land goes, <laughs> we have a shit ton of land, right? As far as infrastructure goes, like you have the whole area between San Antonio and Austin so much availability, so much land, so much room to grow. I mean, even right now that we're seeing the growth on 281 North, on I-10 North, there is still so much land. There's so much available all the way heading to Bernie, heading up north uh, to, what is it, Dripping Springs, Austin, all that area. There's still so much availability, so much area to grow, and the affordability Well, and is so many like insane. cool things to do. Because then, uh, like, <laughs> I know he's been pressing on it, we're not going to talk about it, but it's very interesting, Master Jedi saying, and I, I obviously can't find anything about it right now. Yeah, it sounds is, like a conspiracy theory. <laughs> 7,900 acres for a new Disney park was purchased somewhere in this area, and it hasn't broke news because it's, like, kind of through the grapevine, I'm guessing. I'm not sure who he's uh, connected with, um, or she, I don't know, I don't know who the person is but he puts in there and just saying like 7900 acres for disney park and i look at it like thinking about it it's like you know texas would be a great place for a park it's like we're very similar to florida in that state except the fact we don't have hurricanes and so much rain as like but you say it's hot here in the summer it's hot in florida too but oh yeah and but, humid but yeah and even more humid like yeah. and that park's booming and you look at the money flowing to south central texas like you could hit i mean if you looked in between san antonio and austin like the room to grow in between these cities especially when you because i asked him like where do you think it's gonna go and like south and east because we're like if you go north of san antonio and east, uh, west to austin it's the hill country not a good place for a park. But if you go south and or, and or east of Austin, there is a lot of land out there. It's yeah. very flat land and plenty of room to develop and build roads. To where if something like were that to come, it's like now if you look at that as far as like entertainment for older adults that that don't have kids, there are parts of like Disney parks and then like Universal Studios that went there that are because I've been there in the past. Like those theme parks are cool as an adult there are things that you can do and be able to afford and stuff like that so that would be something that'd be very interesting to um, see if that comes out in the next several weeks if that news does break that they do plan on building a park here but could you imagine the fallout from that of the real estate industry of oh disney announces a 7900 acre park with a plans to build a park by 2030 here the amount of money like housing boom just people just buying anything and everything yeah. like that happened when um tesla mentioned they were going to build that gigafactory mm. as like you immediately saw or when amazon said they were going to buy in new york you saw prices skyrocket 25 percent like month over month of people just buying things up knowing it was going to be there but when amazon pulled out all those prices like dropped back off so the play that that could could be and like 60 million dollars for 7900 acres like that 
seems like very cheap land to yeah. purchase for an area that is stuck between two major metros with the amount of oh. investment and development that comes around a place like that. And a lot of people so, very are, interesting. look at it like, oh, where's the most strategic place to put it? In Disney, uh, Disney World is in Orlando. Orlando is a fucking dump. Like, I mean, if you go to Orlando outside of Disney World, like, not an amazing city to be in. You know what I mean? Well, like, it's not the prettiest. It's not the cleanest. Orlando? Yeah. So, I mean, well, it's, I mean, it's not an amazing place to be at. But you look at location-wise, you look at, well, what's its proximity to every other place? And, I mean, here, anywhere near Austin, well, it's you push in the middle. changed it. We're like, I don't know when the last time you've been to Florida or if you've ever been to Florida. But... Oh, five? But... Tampa and Orlando have drastically changed over the last year. It's like a hot spot. Like I know just from like the construction industry that, that I used to work, like they had an office in Tampa and the amount of investment they've done in the city and a lot amount of the entertainment industry has brought to that area has been tremendous because like Orlando and Tampa aren't far away. I think they're only like an hour, hour and a half, kind of pretty similar distance to what San Antonio Austin are to what that has done to that city and really yeah. done a lot to bring it and make it a national or, or yeah, national worldwide tourist destination. The money it's brought in. Same thing we just talked about. Like, you have to bring money from outside your, lo your local area. And the more you can bring from everywhere else to this area has been huge. Because that's one thing, like, probably 05, it would make sense. Like, yeah, it was kind of, like, Disney was a national brand. People knew about it around the world, and that was fine. But now, with Disney buying Marvel, that happened in, like, I think, 05 or 07. And now with their big blockbusters moving out and knowing that, hey, it's in Star Wars, they own Star Wars now to where they have Star Wars World. They have a Marvel World. It's not just Disney and Mickey Mouse and stuff. Everyone thought just Disney's just Mickey Mouse. Well, now when you think of Disney, it's like, I think of superheroes. I think of uh, sci-fi fiction with like... Uh, Star Wars and stuff. So when that saga got brought out, they yeah. got a lot of publicity. When all the Marvel movies got brought out, because like I don't think Iron Man was their first one, didn't come out till 2007. So like all of that has drastically changed and really brought the national brand of the worldwide brand of Disney and Marvel. Well, I and mean, up until then, Disney, what areas. was it? It was like Mickey Mouse and all that yeah. shit. And now with superheroes, to your point, like Marvel and everything. And uh, what was it? Isn't Harry Potter too? Isn't yeah, Harry that? Potter World. I went to the Harry Potter World. Uh, I, 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 uh, <laughs> in uh, 2014, I have a friend of mine that was. Uh, you look from like Tampa. the ginger guy from Harry Potter. Wow! No, come on, man! No, he had actually legit red oh. hair. Get out of here, name? Ron. Ron, Ron Weasley. There you that's go, Weasley. Um, but. Uh, yeah, that, that's what's like, but now that gave them a platform and gave them all these things to diversify their portfolio, so they've done a very good job. So, Well, it, it's interesting. I was reading here a comment from Kelsey where she says, SA would need more, like building a better downtown, more things to do, a better infrastructure. Are there any plans uh, for any of these? There's a reason sports team have chosen other places. So, yes, I agree that all, uh, San Antonio needs more. There's an issue with politics in the yeah. city. Uh, we've they don't want to let it modernize. Yeah, one. And then two, they, they want to force what businesses and companies come and they do in the city. So like, I can't remember what it was, but a few years back, there was a major company that wanted to come to San Antonio. And San Antonio, the, the, the government here said, 
well, you have to open up downtown and hire downtown yeah, they wanted, workers. They wanted incentives to bring their employment here, and they wanted to live in Stone Oak. Yeah, they wanted to be north, and it was still going to bring like a hundred thousand jobs or some ridiculous number. But San Antonio's like, if you're not going to be downtown, then you can't be in San Antonio. And then they're like, all right, screw you. We just go to Austin then. Yep, and they moved and, to Austin. And they moved to Austin, and it's like, hey, geniuses. Like, <laughs> that's still going to grow San Antonio. Like, you know what I mean? That you when you try to force certain things from happening or to happen yeah you end up causing the opposite you know what i mean and i think those are the issues that we've seen in san antonio why it's taken so long is because so much of the politics and then they're trying to control the gentrification and all of these things that you slow down advancements you slow down progress you slow down and you're slowing down the inevitable because it's gonna happen it's gonna happen it's like growth will always happen It's like, that is what it wants. You can slow it down. That's all you're going to do. It's like our, I'm not going to mention his name, our friend downtown, slowing our development down. That's yeah. all he's done. Like, it's going to go through. I don't know why you keep pressuring because it's going to go, oh, I'm going to make an example of you. It's not going to stop. You're just making yourself, like, make a headache for me and headache for yourself. It's like, it's not going to stop. But I do see, like, it slows it down. It slows the profits down. It makes n- people not want to go in there and invest a second time. But new people always come. New people always come. New people always come. That will always be there. So um, to your point, uh, Kelsey, as far as sports teams, well, one of the big reasons why the NFL has never made it here, even though we have, like, the Alamo Dome and assets and we've tried to coax people is we don't have a lot of big corporate employment big sponsors and big money here to support that kind of team and so that is one thing that's kind of held people off it's like well we might have a big fan base that would support and love a team here that's not what supports a team it's corporate sponsorships and corporate box seats and high ticket sales are what do it but we why we might have a lot of people that will support it we don't have a lot of people that can support 50 yard line front row seats at $30,000 a year kind of people here. We don't have enough of that to, to do it. So that's why I think they've kind of looked in the past of toying in between San Antonio and Austin to attract both markets, but we just don't have enough big players here to make it worth the investment to try to take away from some of these other people. Now, as far as like infrastructure goes, I, I like I've been to other multiple cities and stuff like that. And I would actually challenge you on that as far as when it comes to actual roads. Now, given buses, trains and everything, yes, we do fail on that. But as far as accessibility around the city, as far as the road system, we have I would put our road system against any other major metro in the nation as far as like how good our road system is here, which is why I think we don't have as many trains and buses and things like that because you haven't had the need or that because we have a road system that oh, is so fantastic as far as like three sets of wheels around the city with multiple feeder roads going from all different directions, kind of like a wagon wheel. So I think well, we do have that, which is why San Antonio is so far out. So and then to their point is they're kind of making it seem, you know, tech workers and everything don't want to come to San Antonio. Do Does San Antonio need to imitate or be another wannabe Silicon Valley like Austin is doing? Or should we have San Antonio be more diverse than just tech jobs? You know what I mean? Where we do have more of a variety of employment, more of a variety of people that are coming down here, not just your tech workers from Silicon Valley in California that are moving to Austin, right? Like, you know, she says that some of her tech friends say San Antonio and they say ill, right? Okay. Well, that's the tech jobs. Yeah. 
Well, it's also one of the things like having a diverse economy is a good thing. That's one right. of San Antonio's bright shot spots as far as you look at the last recessions is like we're not as volatile as Houston, Austin, and Dallas are. Mm-hmm. Like we never peak as high and go up as fast, but we don't drop off as fast either. Because you look at like, I mean, what happened in 2000s? Tech bubble burst. Could that happen again? For sure. If you yeah. start, if the government gets very predatory and they've shown that like, hey, we're not happy with the way the censorship and control of these big tech companies has been, and they start breaking these companies up, putting down heavy, 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 heavy regulations on them, they might not have these massive stock prices that allow them to grow so fast and hire these tech people and pay so much. Yeah. So that could be one of the downside to it is like, do we need some? For sure. Do we want all of them? No, not really. And it, and it's just kind of like you look at everything and every area is known for their thing, right? San Antonio doesn't need to be like Dallas, doesn't need to be like Austin. It just needs to do what it does where San Antonio is known for affordability. It's known for family lifestyle. It's known for more of a, uh, what do they call it? Like a big town vibe versus like a city vibe. Right where you're, you're here, and it's just like a really big town, not necessarily like a major city. Yeah, and it's it's growing, it's getting bigger, it's get, more things are coming about, more, th- but still an affordable place. It's still a place that you can travel across the city, and it doesn't take you fifty minutes to do six miles like it does in Austin, right? Yeah. So I mean, you have all these different factors. It's like it's gonna attract, I think, a different kind of person. And one of the things that I wanted to kind of bring up is like one of the trends and things that we're seeing again, as far as what keeps Texas hot, is this new variant. This new variant is making it where now the coastal cities in New York, I saw that they're saying like, if you are not vaccinated, you're pretty much not allowed anywhere. Yeah. Yeah, Because you have to, they're forcing businesses to require to see vaccination cards yep. if you want to go to a restaurant, if you want to go to a movie theater, if you want to go to a gym. I think there's a few other places that yeah. like you cannot go in here without showing proof of vaccination. So you you have places like that. You have places like California where I think I heard uh, federal workers needed to be, uh, medical staff needed to be vaccinated, right? So when you have the coastal cities demanding vaccination, which is something that a lot of people are very strongly against, so when you're demanding it, those people, those businesses, all of them are going to start looking to the states that are growing and that are affordable for a business to move to and that are not demanding those things. You understand that where people just have the choice, you can or you can't, doesn't matter. But having that flexibility, it's going to make Texas, Florida, these states even more desirable. And the more they push to shut down and the more they push for all this, the more we're going to see more people come here. And what keeps, again, San Antonio, and, and San Antonio is going to get there because it's getting more and more where Austin is just getting ridiculously overpriced. And it's going to get overpriced yeah. even as far as talent goes. And you talk about like infrastructure. You, you talk about uh, not being able to move around in Austin. It's like, my God, like to your point. 50 to I mean, 50 minutes to go six miles to where like I had a friend who was driving through Austin and he knew Austin. He's using Waze and Waze would tell him to go through downtown Austin at 430. He's like, no way. Checked Google and Google's like, no, take 130 around Austin. It was 30 minutes faster, even though it was like 20 miles longer because like Austin's just like, it's just, you can't get through Austin yeah. worth a damn. Highly inefficient. So what other articles you got next? Uh, there was 
one that we uh, want to talk about. So, have you heard anything about what's going on with Spirit Airlines last weekend? No. So, apparently, they had to basically shut down and cease operations. What happened? My Oh, there they are. Um, cease operations for the close shutdown, almost like 1700 flights over the course of like a weekend, because basically had to reboot their operations towards like, they just had multiple things that collided. And then all of a sudden the whole company just basically stopped operating where it's like, we can't fly planes between planes, not being in the right places, uh, operational staff contract help was not there. Maintenance help. Like they just had everything happen at a trifecta. And when I was thinking about it, I was like, God, how does a business not see that coming? But then when you think about airlines, if you have a major hub like Florida or Dallas or somewhere like uh, Minneapolis has got a big one, Denver's got a big one. If you have a big storm that shuts that airport down and that plane was supposed to go to four or five different cities throughout the day and all of a sudden it gets shut down and stopped in in one area for an extended period of time, like I can only the ripple effect that that would have immediately. Like you look at Texas when all of a sudden the entire Texas state, like the airports stopped, ceased because they didn't have power. It's like in a whole state and all your major planes, all the planes there are stuck. All the planes going there can't go there, which means the planes going out of here to their next destinations can't go there either. So then you have to reroute everybody in one shot. And I was like, yeah, like you must be constantly just playing that game of like plane breaks down. All right, where were these planes going? How can we get a new one there? And then that delay at that gate delays the next plane coming into that gate. Then this will now the airports have to move those gates to somewhere else. Like I, and you have all the different airlines, all the pieces that touch that industry to where like one thing could go wrong and it might not be that big an issue, but one thing could go wrong, could make another thing go wrong, could make another thing go wrong. And then it goes kind of like our financial markets of 2008. What was the one thing that started that whole ordeal? You could probably, there was one thing that tripped something that tripped something else that made it go to what it, it strength yeah. that it did. It's like, what was it? You're never going to be able to know. But something happened in Spirit Airlines that it, the ripple effect through that company caused catastrophic failures across the whole place where they basically so, stopped. So who, who does Spirit? Beer Airlines served. I'd never heard of the airline. Period. It's uh, our our friend that works for United kind of gave uh, me. He's they they they're called ULCCs, ultra low cost carriers. So it's kind of like a frontier. Um, what do you say? Frontier Spirit Sun Country Southwest. You're, no, not Southwest. Airlines um, of the airways. So it's anybody that's like a, like to where you fly these places and you get. Basically, you buy a ticket, they're cheap, but you get the smash condensed seats, very uncomfortable, very cheap seats, and you don't get to bring anything on the plane with you. You can bring a carry-on that goes underneath your seat. You can't bring anything from overhead bag. You can bring a backpack, and that's it. And so they literally charge for everything. There's no services. There's no nothing. Everything you want costs money to do anything besides getting on the plane and going. So, I mean, they're great for if it's like, hey, I'm a single guy. I'm going for a weekend. I'm just like, I throw my clothes in my bag, my computer, boom, pop on it, gone. I can fly. And you will save a decent amount of money over going, say, United American or Southwest. The taxi of the air. Yeah, basically. I mean, it's ultra low cost carrier. So, oh. 
that in itself, it just shows like they're ultra low cost. So that means like they have a very slim profit margin to also operate their business on for airlines, which are very heavy costs. So the article goes on, said the the causes of Spirit Airlines massive flight cancellations that derailed the summer vacations of tens of thousands of customers this week have been brewing for more than a month. CEO Ted Christie said. A combination of flight delays throughout July, staffing shortages, technology problems, and a surge in travel has taken most airline executives by surprise, accumulating with more than 1,700 flights canceled since Sunday. Some de- This is talking last week. Some days accounting more than half of Spirit's schedule. There's definitely some angry people, he told reporters on Thursday night. Right now, all I can say is we're very sorry for what happened. Chronic chronic delays throughout July snowballed, leading to staffing shortages as crews timed out, reaching the maximum time they could legally work each day. He said it became dra- dramatically worse over the weekend and in the days that followed. We couldn't get in front of it, Christie said. He estimated that tens of thousands of customers were affected by Spirit's disruptions and said it is too early to estimate the financial impact of the company. More than 230 flights or a third of its scheduled was canceled on Friday, according to flight tracking by site FlightAware. On Thursday, 446 Spirit's flights were canceled 50%, 56% of its operations in one day. We're just like, we just got to cancel everything because like fl- crews, like flight, uh, attendants and pilots they only have so many hours they can fly and be on the clock so that plane's sitting there and they can't get people through the tickets because they're short-staffed so you have long lines backing up there which delays the people sitting there at the gates to load and the planes just sitting there idle and they can only work for so long and we're like uh, i timed out i have to take so many hours off and then they don't have a contract crew because they're facing shorting staffages too as well to where this also goes back to everyone's mad like why are the airlines getting bailed out Mm-hmm. When you look at it, it's like this is why they were getting bailed out because they were keeping staff ready for when things came back like this for this scenario. And it shows like, OK, maybe they did make a good investment because if people stop moving about the country, going on vacations and spending their money in other places, just like we talked about, money's got to change hands uh, and they do it via going the airlines and going to new cities to go on vacations. So it's one of those like, OK, I'm a little less mad that they bailed them out now because if they would have wouldn't have bailed them out and laid them all off this situation would be 10 times worse because now not only is like it's operational issues of some short staff, it's like, no, literally there's no staff. Like we can't, we have to cancel all these flights. We have all these planes, we have all these things. And it could have taken years to train all those pilots, all those flight attendants, all those mechanics, all those things, get through all the unions to get the airlines back up, to be able to move about the country. So what would have been the problem? What? That If that would have happened, what would have been the problem? Uh, the economy would even, it would have been taken even longer to recover and small businesses, tourists, like we're a big tourist city. The, the conventions that are coming back here, the, the events that are starting to happen would have been even postponed even longer. So, uh, that would have been a huge issue. So that's one thing is like, they saw that cost being more than the 50 billion or whatever it was that they got. Or it's like, hey, uh, and I agree now. It's like looking at that, it's like if you shut down an economy even more via the airlines, so we spent $50 billion of taxpayer dollars, but that cost would have been rippled through the entire economy. A convention, say, bringing 2,000 people to San Antonio and all the businesses that they support, like all that money that got brought from all over the country to here and spent in one weekend 
across it because they had a big convention here last weekend called like the Texas Coaches Association or something like that. And we were driving through downtown early in the morning. I was taking uh, my girlfriend to work. And dude, there was just blocks and blocks and blocks and blocks of coaches everywhere, all over the place, spending money at the conventions, at the hotels, at the, the restaurants and going out and taking, bringing their families from different places and doing things like, yes, that was Texas. People could drive. And I, and I, and I get that. Right. But don't you think that things like that, especially in the economy that we were in, would be necessary to happen where that kind of, um, uh, I mean, Something I kind of even hesitate to say, it would be a level of chaos that that would cause, right? Because of a level of uncertainty, level of financial hardship for the cities, for the states. That being said, but at least from what I've always learned about economics and everything is like, at times you need to kind of like hit that reset and it's going to be financially Well, not necessarily because I know my caveat to that would be is heavy tourist area say like Tampa Orlando or Orlando like Disney World and stuff like that and you have that major employer and they're all saddled with debt they all move with debt all the business around them move with debt and everything like that and you cut off that thing you could kill that city and it never comes back to where the point where the debt gets so high the burden gets so high the local banks start failing like I mean it's 2008 we saw that like dumping that inventory on there and liquidity to the market crashed everything and destroyed everything to where like you could destroy an entire area to where if it's like hey i mean why do people get loans it's like why do individuals get loans like i can pay that back now bail out free money no i wish they would have structured it more as a loan and saying hey but i think they were they had the airlines had too much upper hand at with everything going on to get that money or if like i just need a bridge to get me to a certain point to where profitability is going to come back and i'll pay that money back I was like, I'd rather seen it structured that way because that is the point of taking on a loan, taking on debt is the fact that like even our business, like we couldn't do what we do without borrowing money from somebody else. So like an airline industry that kind of commutes across the entire world, it's like you need that. You need that piece without that. It's like, yes, would it have torn down and eventually come back? For sure. It eventually would have come back. But you look at the Great Depression, it took a world war to bring us out of the depression because the government wouldn't help in and say like, well, we have the power to stimulate the economy. And there's a lot of economists that look back now after looking at the past 20 years here saying they probably could have ended the great depression a lot sooner at a lot less cost if they would have stepped in and done a little more back then. Cause like the, what brought it out was a world war, but what more led printing. to the world war, what led to the world war was the depression. And so that's one of the things like they kind of look at that. I can't remember who, who I was reading or who framed it that way uh, last couple of weeks, that kind of is like, okay, I can see what you're saying now to where there's a balance between like how much is too much and how much is too little, but they all kind of, everyone agrees like doing nothing isn't the answer either because right. it, it makes everything just go for so long because it's one of the things like the private sector can't figure those things out by themselves. It does need some kind of buy. The reason governments have have been in every civilization since the beginning of time as like there does need to be somebody that helps direct things well, around. in a situation like that i mean the private sector what they end up doing is pretty much cutting ties and leaving right because they're like oh this is tanking let's get the hell out of here which causes the tank to go even further where the government steps in and says you know well hold on don't cut ties yet here's some money stay here keep it going you know what i mean so then they feel a little bit more security a little bit more of uh why they should stay so it doesn't just completely go to shit so quickly. 
It's um, kind of like it's the, the private and the businesses are the gears that run the economy, but the government's the grease that allows those gears to keep turning. Otherwise, everything just seizes up, rusts up, and locks up. Or it's yeah. like kind of like, yeah, yeah, we provide the liquidity, we provide it, we help direct investment, we direct funds to keep everything moving. Because I, I look at that as like, yeah, if you, like they say even now, it's like the hospitality industry is not out of the woods yet because it's taking oh, so long yeah. to come back to full force to be able to sustain the debt levels and everything that they have had and the staffing they need to service those people. So there's still lots of issues in the economy. And just think like if they would have cut it off and slowed it down even more, it's like how much more would there have been and how many companies would have just completely been decimated and destroyed. And how and like and then now you look at the cascade of that, the world wins. Like you have these massive hotels going out of business. Well, those hotels don't own those buildings. It's usually owned by some big investment firm, some big insurance company that is invest in some pension funds and where it's like how much that would just destroy would something better come back eventually yes but how or maybe long? not right because yeah, like, like you said like somewhere somewhere like orlando it goes out of business and it never comes back and it's like because like, like, that 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 park goes under disney can't sustain disney goes out of business and now their whole thing and everyone depends on them goes out of business and then that trickles through the whole financial system and you just have complete lockdown and breakdown towards like yeah basically capitalism the united states as we know it has completely gone away the it, last may, it makes years you think is, of the the whole premise of too big to fail kind of thing of when an organization let's say like amazon like disney like walmart they're so massive. They run and control so much of the economy that if they were to fail, it's not just like, oh, yeah, screw it. Let Amazon fail. It's like, well, how many suppliers do they fund? How many supply chains do they do they attribute to? How many you know people do they employ? It's like when you look at the domino effect of such a massive business failing, I mean... The trickle effect of something like that is tremendous. Yeah. So uh, so now I'm glad you kind of brought that up. And um, I got you. <laughs> about like companies failing or some a major component that that company needs to survive failing. In this case, like our education system here uh, in the United States. So Target, Target, the big retailer, uh, Amazon's. Compet not Amazon, uh, Walmart's kind of major competitor and stuff like that, and that's retail space. So Target to pay 100% of college tuition and textbooks in a bid to attract workers. So basically, to me, that's like, is that not a slap in the face of our current higher education system? It's like, hey, you guys aren't <laughs> providing us the people we need when they have the choice to, you're not pushing people towards us, you're not emphasizing this enough because you're just creating these stupid programs that kids can get pursue their dreams, $100,000 in debt, and not realizing that like, hey, this career path of fine arts doesn't pay that kind of money. I know you want to pursue it. That's fine. That's cool. But going to get a college degree for that and the debt, like they're not kicking out the talent we need. So Target said Wednesday, it will offer new perks to woo workers, a debt-free way to get college degree and payments towards graduate programs. Starting this fall, the big box retailer said it will cover the cost of tuition, fees, and textbooks for part-time and full-time workers who pursue a qualifying undergraduate degree at more than 40 institutions. 
It will also fund advanced degrees paying up to $10,000 each year for master programs at those schools. The National Retailer is the latest company to dangle perks to attract job candidates in competitive labor markets. With a move, Target joins other retailers and restaurant chains, including Chipotle and Starbucks, that have programs that help employees pay for college. Walmart recently announced it would cover the full cost of college tuition and books for its employees after previously requiring them to pay a dollar a day. Even a dollar wow. a day, and they're just like, screw it. That's not even over. Yep. You get it for free. I mean, that's like a $365. Like Walmart, you can you can pay that up. Towards like you have these major companies like Starbucks, Chipotle, Walmart, Target, Amazon already does it. Towards like, we'll pay for you to go to school, but you need to get an actual degree that benefits this company and benefits us and quote unquote so the economy. With with that being said, right? Who are the people? Uh, Target and Chipotle and Starbucks go after, right? You know, Target. Hey, right. Chipotle. Is that what you said? Chipotle, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because if you haven't been to the bathroom, just go to Chipotle and you will. But you have uh, these companies. Who are the people they're trying to attract, right? Everybody that restaurants, uh, the hospitality industry, all the same people they're trying to attract. The difference is that they can afford to do this while these other places can't. Well, it's also the, so, giving them the career path. Yeah. and then, No, no, I'm not saying... I'm, I'm trying to see, like, what does this mean? Because, like, Walmart and all these companies that can afford to incentivize them, like, hey, come work for us. You're going to get paid. Plus, you're going to be able to do something with yourself. Yeah. Where you're going to have more, much more than just minimum wage employment. You're going to have an actual career for your life. You know, better job. We're going to take care of all your expenses and all of that. How, what does that mean for the mom and pops, for the smaller uh, restaurants and things like that, that they obviously can't do that? So what's left for them when you have these massive companies that, you know, it's not going to require all that much for you to get a job there. You just got to want to go to work. Like, I think it kills a lot more employment for all the already hurting restaurants and everything. Oh, I agree. Because it it just won't, like. It's exactly that. It's like going to work at a restaurant. You really don't have much of a career to make out of that because you have a very limited upside of where you can go at yeah. a mom pop restaurant unless you're working at like a McDonald's. But even then, it's like it's a very long time before you can work your way up in that chain right. from the franchise to a corporate setting. Because um, I know McDonald's has their own university and like one of the books we've read, like Apple, Google, uh, Disney, they all create their own universities because they're like, we're not getting the talent we need out of the public education system. So now it's upon us to do that. It's like, we can't have a profitable enough business model that we're just going to train our own people. We're going to create them. Um, toward the mom and pop people, it's, it's kind of things is like, sorry, it's like, it's business world. Like if you're not growing, you're dying. Yeah. Like you have to be able to do something, provide some competitive advantage, some worth like balance, some kind of aspect of some kind of growth potential to do that. Otherwise your employees are going to leave. And that is a real serious issue to where like you have to grow to attract talent and the talent has to realize like, I want a career and a lifestyle out of this. It has to fit their personal needs to where like, if it doesn't, they're going to move and you have a constant revolving door to where even then you look at these big companies. It's not like hundred percent of the people that go and work for target stay there. It's like, they have a constant revolving door too, but it's also, they have to find people and give them the benefits that they want to stay and want to work. So that is something that's like, it's going to be very difficult for smaller people, but it's also one of the things that I go back to like 
the public education system is very, very flawed in the sense of the student loan crisis that there, everyone's talking about how much debt there is out there. It's just, well, yeah, when the federal government backs everything up and just gives money for free, well, the private sector in public education is going to see that and be like, well, I want to go get that money. So they need to create all these, inf- that's like, well, how do you get that money? You got to have kids go to their school. How do you get kids to go to the school? You got to give cater to them. And in this, in this today's day and age, it's like, they don't want to go work construction. They don't want to go work these things. They want to go sit at home. They want to do fine arts. They don't want to work hard. So it's like, well, we're going to give you these programs then to do well, that, try to train it, these people. It's also, you and I talked about it before. It's like people want to have, and kids want to have already meaningful lives. Way um, I don't know if that's coming out wrong, but like they want to have a meaningful job starting day one. Where before it was like, just get a job, get some work experience. Understand what it is to show up, what it is to do shit work, right, for a paycheck, just so you can build some experience, you can build some credibility, where now it's like, no, it's my first job, but I want something that has a future. And it's like, you're you're still too early in your life to understand what a future even looks like. Yeah, That's why you have these kind of jobs. You have these kind of jobs so you can go in and you can check like, hey, do I even want to do this? Do I even want to do this industry, this business, this line of work? Um, because you're saying, you know, I want to have something with some meaning. It's like, what if you completely hate it, you know, and you're wasting all this time trying to go after that job that has so much more purpose and meaning, you know, Target, Walmart, they give you access to college. Okay. What does that mean? Like if you're young, just out of high school, what does that mean for you when you don't even know what the hell you want? You haven't experienced enough out of life. You know what I mean? Now you go to college, you go to college for Target or whatever to learn whatever they need you to learn so you can go work for them. And now it's like, oh, I actually hate this. I want to go do something else. It's like, well, pretty wasted. I mean, that's kind of what like college was designed for was for you to go experience and try different things and different avenues and to see like what you gravitate towards and what you like. But I, I mean, it is very interesting to see that it's like, you know what? we're done with this. You guys can't provide it. So we're going to provide ourselves. And then they, they say like, there's only certain universities you can go to. And there's only certain programs that you can go to that you can pay. And I'm curious, like how that works. If, I mean, it's just like how that works. Like, all right, I got, I go to this university. I get two years into it for a four year degree and I don't like it. And I quit. So it was like target just taking that as like, well, we're going to chalk that up as a loss. So what or, does a new job look like for restaurants? service industry jobs where more more and more people want quality of life, more and more people want, you know, a meaningful place to work at. Is it something where now to work at a restaurant, they, instead of doing full-time, they'll do, I don't know, what's smaller than part-time, kind of like, well, you have a two-hour shift. That way you just come, you work for two hours, and you can go and live your purpose. And then if you come back, do another two hours and then go live your purpose you know what I mean? Where it's like you you start shrinking down to your, where you make it so convenient for, or so much easier for them to want to go work for you. And your your revolving door is going to be insanely fast moving, you know, of all the turnovers. Like, I'm just trying to envision, like, what does this mean for restaurants? What does this mean for, you know, service industry where it's like people don't want to go do the job anymore? Construction. People don't want to go do that job. You know what I mean? Like. Is this just temporary or are we going to see a stability come back or is this like a new trend? 
I don't know. And that's when I was thinking about this the other day when it came to like construction and stuff like that. Cause I mean, we just, we're all, you're always having issues with construction. You always will. But when like this labor shortage, like I don't think it's going away at all. Cause you look at the average age of a construction worker is like 56 or something like that. It's like high forties into the low to mid fifties. Like that's old for the, that's a long time. Cause usually guys like that, they've been doing it for 30 years, yeah, 40 years. And, and now, and it's a hard work on your body. So now I, one of the reasons when you made that comment a while back, where it's like they stripped the pride of being construction away, can being construction away from it. And I think that's it, for sure true because now everyone that's older, say that 56-year-old person doesn't want to be swinging the hammers anymore. They don't yeah. want to do that anymore. It's like, I need to find people. I want to just manage people now. Like, I have the knowledge. I just need to find people to come work for me. But you need younger people to come work for you. And therein lies the issue is like there's not enough younger people to work for the older people that have the jobs. And now the older people are like, I can't hang shot. Like, I can't do this stuff anymore like I used to. It's like I need to bring younger people in to help and I manage them and see and I grow their business. So but when there's nobody there to fill those voids, it's like and they all want to be a GC like we see. It's like, yeah, therein lies the problem. It's like. You have all your older people want to be GCs and nobody to go work for these new GCs. Well, that's also the issue that we've always seen in construction is like everybody wants to be a GC, but they don't know how to manage a business. Because as a GC, you are no longer in the construction side. You're in the business side of, the, of everything. Now you need to manage your labor. You need to manage the materials. You need to manage across multiple projects. You need to source your your yeah. jobs. You well, need to automate all these things, manage your expenses. And a lot of these contractors, from what we've seen, they don't know how to do well, any of those things. Well, it's not even that. Like, they don't know how to do it, but how do you learn to do it? You have to do it via experience. But if you can't step away from doing the physical work to actually go do that, to learn how to do that, and fail your way forward, so is that you're constantly stuck. Where it's like you start working for us and I'm going to teach you how to run this yourself kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like, it, would that be the new attraction? Because here, here's the other thing that I'm more kind of like a thought experiment here. With the amount of labor shortage and the amount of people that don't want to be out in the weather and doing all the, the shit work and all this stuff, we have been seeing a trend leading more towards, you know, these 3D houses these uh, panel homes that are being built in warehouses and then shipped to location and dropped and kind of put together like Legos and everything like that. Do you think that that would be kind of like the catalyst to for that to really ramp up where it's like, well, now we need a lot less people because we have this massive warehouse where we're just pumping out walls, we're pumping out, uh, you know, houses, and all you need is a much smaller crew that doesn't have to be outside you know, framing a freaking wall or anything like that. It's just like, oh, everything's already pretty much laid out. Just come in, stack the Legos, move on to the next thing. You know what I mean? Like more modular home style. Like, I so think it, that that would help control more of this uh, labor shortage and stability kind of thing. I, I mean, in theory, yes, yeah. but I don't think the laws are written to help it. Because you look at, because one of the things when we looked into doing Doing that, it's like the the inspection periods, like the city's like, no, I want to see everything before sheetrock gets put on. Well, and that means the sheetrock can't get put on, installation can't get put in until an inspector goes through and sees all of the stuff. But they get inspected at the warehouse. But that's what I said, the cities don't care because the city doesn't make money off that. That was the issue because he said like, oh, the, the big thing we saw was like the exterior walls, 
fine. I could see them making that go. But like your kitchen area and your bathrooms, like the bathrooms come pre-made. Walls, toilets, yeah. cabinets, kitchens, everything. And it's like, I don't, the city will never let them do that. And who's not going to let the city do that? Well, the politicians, because they don't get the money. Who's not going to let the city pass those things so, is your unions that control like your plumbing, mechanical, HVAC, all those people, because that's their purpose. They're like, well, we can't control that over there. So like, I think the amount of laws that would need to change and regulation need to change around that makes it very obsolete for so municipalities. Aside from the laws, what I'm saying as far as labor shortages and all that, wouldn't that solve that issue? That issue, labor shortage yeah, like, to, like people pumping just, out houses. Yeah, I mean, yeah, having a controlled environment for sure. That's why you see some of these like these projects around the world. That's like they were able to build this thing. Like one of our hotels downtown, they built like a thirty-story hotel in like two hundred days. It's like they built it in a warehouse and they craned in the units and they set them down in right. blocks and built the whole thing. And that's how they were able to do because they were able to build it in a controlled environment. So my point is that we can always solve affordability issue we can always solve the labor issue we can solve all these problems but what's always the problem politics well the regulations the politics because you look at the re you look at that it's like why are they there because like yeah we think that solves the problem no problem nothing else yeah, comes yeah. to that well it's just like we talked about with like the airlines like there's a, there's always a ripple effect to every single decision that's made so now where if we were to do that aspect of it as like, what is the ripple effect beyond that? And we kind of looked at it, it's like all the employment. I'm sorry, are you saying the government can see that? No, I'm not saying oh. the government can see I'm <laughs> saying like other politicians, other people that pass the laws yeah. that represent other groups come in and they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. And that, you're talking about all these people that I represent. You're not thinking about them. These are the repercussions that they're going to have. And they always blow them all out of proportion. Of it's course. Like, yeah. But it's also one of the things like that is why, well, we think there's, we have one mind and we think one way, but we, it's history proves that one person we, leading the we entire think way, the right way. <laughs> um one one way is not the best yeah. way to move an economy no, you I need agree. a collaborative effort and that is lies the issue i'm just it's saying like because we, i'm seeing more and more about you know we have a friend of ours austin that he's he's looking at doing this right where he's building these homes essentially off-site and they'll deliver them to you and then the panels and everything we're seeing the 3d homes being a big deal even up in austin they're they're trying to do the 3D homes like crazy, these small homes and all this. And it's just thinking about like, well, that could potentially solve a big part of the labor shortages and a big part of the labor issues when you just need a warehouse. It's a controlled environment. So one person can get a lot more done because they don't have to be traveling. They don't I mean, have it's an to assembly line. It's like you yeah. look back to Henry Ford when he pioneered that aspect of it. It's like, look how much more production they're able to keep out yeah. and brought the cost of cars down to where everybody could afford a car and then you look at the boom that stemmed from that but i wonder what the caveat to that would be if it's saying like yeah i get that and you get more housing to it but look how many people are going to become unemployed because of that and we'll look at all the ripple effects in other parts of the economy to me to you it sounds great but it's like there's people out there that have a complete separate opposite view of the interest that they could raise a very good point like shit i didn't really think about that like, huh, well, how do we solve that? And it's like, that's where, that's one of the reasons why things take so long to get through any form of environment. Cause like, yeah, you just look at like San Antonio to what we were talking about earlier. Like we're a very old city and they don't want to change around that towards like, you have all these people like, I want to see the city change. I want to see 
new investment, new styles of design, newer modern city. I'm tired of all this ugly ass brick being built on every new building downtown. It's like, let's put some cool looking stuff down there to make our city look cool. But you have these boards that are like, nah, our city doesn't want that. It's because like the powers that be have set that precedence and there's not enough people making enough noise from the outside getting new people elected. Oh, and that's, a, that's, these are the opportunities for un, real entrepreneurs. They're the real problems that whoever can think of a way to solve one of these problems, you build these massive it's businesses. It's kind of one of the things like who can come up with a cool enough idea that can get enough backing and enough money and with yeah. enough connections to force the change. Cause that's one of the things like I saw something online, like why politics doesn't change. It's like, because like, if you want to run for Senate, it costs 45,000. You need to raise $45,000 a day, every day for the entire year to do it. It's like, and that's why money stays and everything. These big groups control because they have so much money and power because it, the outside influence is so much like you can't do quite a grassroots quote unquote raising to it like you need some kind of back you need some kind of support group which means you kind of have to sell your soul to that person so that's dramatic (laughs) but yeah i mean it's it's one of the things that you and i always talk about the fact that there's so much money involved in politics it makes it where it's like how can you really have an unbiased politician or somebody that really actually cares about the people when they were pretty much bought to be in that position so it's a, it's one of those things that's like how to be able to be your own politician. Well, I mean, for sure. And that's worth saying. Like, if you want to get an idea changed, come up with a cool enough idea where somebody with enough money or one person with enough person can make a big enough connection that knows people that control those people yeah. and influence it. And they do it via money. Yep. And it's like, that's how you do it. And it's one of the things, oh, for the good of the people. It's like, yeah, the politicians don't care about the good of the people. They care about their lifestyle and like where their money comes from. There, um, there are exceptions to that rule for sure. I'm not saying that's how it always is done, but the bulk of it is done via that route. So. All right. Do you have any other art- articles to kind of cover? Start wrapping up. Uh, I mean, we got a couple in here as far as related around like debt and the business and the economy that, I mean, you got a couple in here as far as like the household debt jumps, the social security recipients, um, that kind of leads right into everything. So why don't you start with, um, the household debt there? Yeah. So I read this article yesterday and I was like, okay, we always talk about how the U S is a creditor nation, right? We are, what do they say? Um, debtor nation. Richard Duncan, he says, uh, we're not uh, capitalistic anymore. We're creditism. Yeah, so he doesn't call it, we're not in a capitalism society. We're a creditism society where you, you look at when credit's not growing by 2% or more, the economy goes into a recession. Yep. So it's all about credit. So you look at this uh, article and it says, household debt rose by its highest dollar amount in 14 years during the second quarter. Uh, thanks mostly to a surge in the housing market that brought it, the collective American IOU to just shy of $15 trillion. Um, total debt balance jumped $313 billion in April to June period. Uh, that's the sharpest since 07. And over the past four quarters, mortgage originations have totaled close to $4.6 trillion, amounting to 44% of all outstanding home loan balances. Credit card balances increased by $17 billion, 
while auto loans were up $33 billion. Student loan debt actually decreased, fallen by $14 billion uh, to just over $1.57 trillion. That's <laughs> just beyond insane. As forbearance programs had kept education-related balances in check. At least in housing, though, the credit quality of borrowers has been high. The median credit score for newly originated mortgages was 760 points. 760 was the average credit score, with 71% of all borrowers having a credit score of over 760. So that that's, I think that's insane and it's great, right? Because, I mean, we talk about the last financial crisis. The last financial crisis, uh, the housing crisis happened because anybody was getting a loan. Now with people were 71%, of borrowers are over 760, like that, that's a hell of a credit score. The share of mortgages moving to uh, delinquency totaled just 0.4%, a record low, while 0.5% share of mortgages that were 90 days or more past due also set a new record uh, amid the ongoing forbearance program. So we're seeing credit and debt jump up, which before we were talking about how savings and all of this was... Uh, had been going down during this pandemic, we're starting to see that credit and debt and all of that have been going up uh, in the last couple quarters. So, I mean, I think that's overall, that's great news for the U.S. economy. Because again, we're a creditor nation. So the fact mm -hmm. that debt is rising at that kind of level and we're seeing records being set on the amount of debt that's rising, most of it being led by the housing market. So you have the housing market leading all this. And then when we talk about, again, forbearances and everything it's like you can see why the motivation to do a loan modification is going because now it's like a loan mod yeah let's push it to 40 years because now we just extended this debt we just prolonged it we just made this shit even longer it worth more so it's like yeah let's keep going you know let's not kick people out let's not foreclose on homes let's not you know do short sales and cut prices and all this because it's gonna hurt our credit so mm -hmm. when you look at that kind of that level of motivation from the U.S. economy, from the government, it's like as a real estate investor, it makes you kind of think, what does this mean for real estate? Oh, for real estate prices and everything, it's kind of good. You know what I mean? Because yeah. they're, they're not trying to push prices down anytime soon and they're going to do whatever they need to to keep them propped up. Yeah. So very interesting. I don't know. Very interesting article. And then uh, one, this one I had in for a, a while now, but it's Social Security recipients may get the biggest cost of living bump in almost 40 years. So this is something that I've always been curious about is Social Security was never really going up. So I was like, with inflation, with everything, it gets to a point where people that are living off of Social, social Security, they're like... They're not going anywhere. Yeah, the way they the way they structure like the CPI or the cost of living adjustments and stuff like that, it's like... To the real cost that we see, it's like, no, you adjusted at 1.2%. Like, that's really not making a difference when you have prices of food and everything going up. Because it's like, well, yeah, you were eating beef. I get that. But now you need to go start eating chicken or pork because it's cheaper. And you need to be like, the average individual is not going to do that at 70 years old. Be like, they've been eating that way for the last 20 years. They're not going to moderately well, just go to the follow the cheapest right. thing. And you have diet restrictions, right? You have all these things. They're yeah, not like younger point, people. Especially. Yeah. You eat healthy. It's like healthy food costs more. Exactly. They don't have the option or the luxury. A lot of older people to say, oh yeah, let me just switch and eat this. It's like, I know older people that like they cannot eat meat or they cannot eat pork. It's like they just 
it it falls like a freaking atomic bomb on their stomachs, right? Like they just can't eat those things. So it's like they don't have the flexibility younger people have of just saying, okay, this went up, let me switch to this. Yeah. So those things really matter. And you have uh, in the article, it talks about 69 million Americans who collect Social Security are on track to get the largest cost of living hike since 83. Since 83. Wow. <laughs> With one advocacy group for senior citizens projecting a 6.1% increase to benefits due to surging inflation. The bad news? Recipients will have to wait for the bump because Social Security Administration adjusts it's payment only once a year. <laughs> Sounds kind of like our city when we try to get a variance approved. Uh, starting with the uh, December benefits that are paid in January, this means seniors and other uh, Social Security beneficiaries wouldn't receive a cost of living adjustment until January of 2022. In the meantime, prices for everything from gas to groceries are rising at a time when Social Security recipients got what was among the most meager of uh, cost of living adjustment cost of living adjustments in recent years a 1.3% increase for 2021 <laughs> oh my god as the pandemic eases uh, a rapid reopening of the economy is fueling pent up spending for goods and services that in many cases remain in short supply prom uh, prompting inflation to jump 5.4% in june compared with a year a year earlier. So you have Social Security Administration will announce its annual uh, cost of living adjustments in October, which is based on the average rate of inflation over the prior three months to be sure inflation could re uh, recede during the summer and early fall potential, potentially resulting in lower cost of living adjustments. That, that kind of sucks a little, right? They're, they're going to only take the prior three months the average of the prior three months. So if it goes down because of that, and then it comes back up afterwards, it's like, well, we're already adjusted. So you're going to have to wait until next year for us to see. Yeah, if we well, I mean, it's adjustment. a lot of things where it's like, it's based on the prior year. When you look at your gasoline deductions, we're like, it went down this year because last year the gas prices tank, even though gas prices are surging. It's like, what the, f but next year, the are it might go from 50 cents to 62 cents because the gas prices got so high yeah so it's very interesting well with well, that and then hold on because this is a, i think an important point where people say you know oh is inflation transitionary is it just here to stay you know is it here to stay or is it just for a short while it's like these adjustments they're not i don't think they're going to be oh we're going to adjust it now and when inflation goes supposedly back down we're going to go ahead and take this away you know what i mean i think a lot of these adjustments are here to stay Mm -hmm. And because they're here to stay, that means those prices are more more than not here to stay as well. Yep. So this inflation, I don't think it's uh, transitory, how they want to call Transitionary. it. Transitionary. I don't know. They use, I don't know what the hell. Where's the T? Yeah. I don't know what the difference is between either one. But um, I don't think it's, you know, transitionary, transitory. I think it's here to stay. They're making adjustments that these are adjustments that are here to stay as well. So yeah. some of them will go down because uh, right now one thing's like we saw like the, <laughs> people were expecting less. I have an article here. I'm not going to go about it. The highlight is like inflation jumped a lot higher than what they anticipated. Mm. But they say price for used cars, gasoline, food, and airlines are driving inflation. Price increases in used cars, car rentals, as well as a rebound in airline airfares, lodging, and food are behind the biggest inflation surge since 2008 as the U.S. economy reopens. Or the 12-month period used 
Used cars and trucks leaped 45.2%, while car and truck rental costs skyrocketed 87.7%, according to the Labor Department. Those are costs that I think will come down. Because like as the chip shortage and everything, because you look at lumber, everything shot up, and then the suppliers caught up getting it all out there and now they're crashing back down yeah. where you're going to have that to where like those costs have gone up, but they're never going to drop back down to pre uh, pandemic levels anymore. So some of the costs are high, but I agree in the fact that they're never going to go down as far. Consumers have cash in their pockets and rental car companies are looking to rebuild fleets at a time with auto output is being constrained by components shortages. ING economics chief and international economist, James Knightley said in a note, Bank of America economists believe this may be the peak of used cars, used car price strength as the increase in sticker prices for consumer has now exceeded the jump in wholesale used car prices, which started in a mo- to moderate in June. Public transportation, which includes airline fares, recorded a 17.3% jump year over year, while lodging away from home, including hotels and motels, saw a 16.9% increase. Uh, you burst year over year. So that is one thing. It's like, yeah, that is something that is really happening. So some of those costs will go down, and but they're never going to go down as far as it needed. And this comes at a time when, lo and behold, the government missed its debt ceiling deadline to where there is a hard <laughs> stop uh, passed by Congress. It's like, you cannot go above this level of debt without yeah. approval by Congress and things like that. But it's also one of those that's used as kind of a political football to where like, mm, I'm not going to vote that unless you give me this. I'm not going to allow you to extend it because no politician on their watch wants to see the debt ceiling goes. Cause like if that dealing debt ceiling stopped, the full faith credit that unit's government would absolutely implode. Interest rates would spike and you would see an economic recession that would follow. That would just be absolutely destroyed. And you guaranteeing you to lose your spot and lose your power. But it's also one of the things they only use it so much because even if, yeah, the Democrats are in control of everything, but yeah, if even if you're just a politician and that were to happen, your your light your job's shot. Everything would get turned uh, over. So, oh, and I think that's also it's something all politicians now. It's like, look, you're bluffing. You're not gonna do this, right? But it's one of those things that's like, no, I won't. But I will hold it up enough to where it starts it causes causing some pain. real pain. Because yeah. you look at these social security payments. You talk about raising payments. Yeah, it's like, well, if you can't raise your debt ceiling. What are you going to do? And some of the stuff in your article I thought was um, kind of funny. So the Treasury Department will begin conducting emergency cash conservation steps on Monday to avoid busting the federal borrowing limit after two-year suspension of the debt ceiling expired at the end of July. Economists say, though... Those so-called extraordinary measures will allow Treasury to pay off the government's bills without floating new debt for two to three months. After that, Congress will need to either raise or suspend the borrowing limit to risk the U.S. defaulting on its obligations. That level reached $22 trillion in August 2019 and was suspended until Saturday. The new debt limit will include Washington's additional borrowing since summer of 2019. The Congressional Budget Office estimated in July that the new cap will likely come in just north of $28.5 trillion. So in two years, it's gone up from $22 trillion to $28.5 trillion, And they're talking about passing another $3.5 trillion package to borrow more money. So that's one thing that's being played in this, too. They're saying, like, uh, we'll let you raise it a little bit, but we're not going to let you raise that much to pass your $3.5 trillion budget deficit. So that's kind of some of those negotiations going on behind the scene. 
I will be, and this is something that Janie Yellett said to Pelosi, I will be unable to fully invest the portions of the Civic Service Retirement and Dis- Disability Fund, not immediately required to pay beneficiaries, and that a debt issuance suspension period will begin on Monday, August 2nd, 2020, or 2021, and last through Thursday, September 30th, 2021. I respectfully urge Congress to protect the full faith and credit of the United States by acting as soon as possible. And this is one of the things I found kind of funny. This is by a Harvard University economic professor, Karen Diane, told CNBC on Thursday, the government needs to have funds, for example, to pay interest on its debts. <laughs> it's like we need to borrow more money so we can pay interest on the money we borrowed 20 years it's ago it's kind of like calling your credit card company and be like i need this credit card so i can pay my other credit cards exactly. don't you know this and if we were to stop paying interest that could be extremely unsettling financial market which is very true of course where if you stop paying interest on the government debt it's like around the it. world that would send a shock of everything of how bad that would come how bad that would get so it's just very interesting to like the paint corner we paint ourselves into with every economy around the world. It's like, yeah, we've crossed a threshold that debt levels don't go down. The government needs to constantly pump more money into the market and they need to borrow more money to pay off debts from the previous time frames. Cause like everybody, pension funds, individuals, private sectors, companies, corporations, like own government debt. And if that doesn't get paid, that is going to be a huge issue all the way around the world. No, it's a, it would be terrible repercussions. I mean, it's kind of that whole thing of being too big to fail, right? It's we are that in ten times, where it's like the U.S. can't default. You know, and every country knows this. We all know this. We all know that's why when we, I guess, uh, speculate on what's going to happen, it comes with a very high level of uh, already understanding of how the economy works that's like they can't let these things happen you know what i mean because the the outcome of it is pretty much like well the u.s goes to shit who's gonna let that happen yeah it's like no politician they're watching to see the economy crater like that it's like you want to see bad hard economic times don't pay raise the debt ceiling and stop paying your debts and like what that would do to the like you want to talk about not just one market freezing up. Talk about every market and, freezing and up. And as much as Democrats overnight. and Republicans hate each other, uh, that's that mutual assured destruction for you. Oh, for At sure. At that point, I mean, it's the- like, oh, all right, let's not be so stupid because now we, you know, who wants to be the king of a burnt up kingdom? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it doesn't yeah. really help anybody here. Yeah, every um, every every industry like overnight in like within a week would just come to a screeching halt. Like every loan would probably come to a screeching halt because it's like it's all dependent. Like you would lock up the liquidity of the entire world essentially because that would very quickly spread from United States to every other major economy, which then goes to every sub market to expanding markets to the third world countries. Like it would just lock. I mean, the third world country probably wouldn't notice much of a difference. Uh, yeah, they would they would probably yeah. note it they wouldn't grow they wouldn't stop but it's also it's like they don't aren't a big player in the world economic machine yeah so it's like your big players uh like the eu the um us and asia would just <laughs> screech to a halt and everything after that would just be yeah that's why when you look at all this and you start projecting all right as a real estate investor i need to start planning you know what should i do should i wait on the silence should i do this always keep in mind like they're going to keep this thing going. They can't let the economy tank. They can't let the housing market tank. 
They they can't let you know inflation take off like a freaking rocket. Mm-hmm. So all of these things call for government intervention, a government manipulation, more money printing, more everything. So take all those things into account when you're deciding. Hey, what does my investments look like moving forward? Well, that's what we say. Like you're like, ah, oh, I can't invest in that because it's so manipulated and propped up by the government. It's like, yeah. That's just how it is. That's what it is. Like you can't listen to something that worked 30, 40 years ago. It's like, that was a completely different economy, different times. Like yeah. the world has evolved. Like you can't get stuck saying, well, I can't put my money in that. I'm not going to do that. It's just way too risky. I want control. It's or like being emotional well, about it. It's like, then realize that. And then don't get mad when your investments don't grow then. Yeah. And your money doesn't grow and it, it gets beat up by inflation because you're looking for these investments, but you won't go towards the investments because it's manipulated by somebody. Like, well, yeah, that's just how everything works. So, so there you have it, folks, for Friday, August 3rd. Six. Oh, six. Yeah. <laughs> God dang. One of those weeks. <laughs> um, if you guys have any articles or anything that you've been hearing down the grapevine of uh, any, you know, Disney coming to Austin or any other things that you would want us to cover or give you our thoughts on, uh, just send it our ways. Uh, you can sub. Tag it below. You can uh, email us. Just put John at Prime Homes with H, without H. You'll get one of us. Um, let us know. Reach yeah, out to us. Like Master Jedi, if you do find an article or you find something on that that shows that they've bought that, because it's kind of hearsay right now through the grapevine that it's already happened. But if you can find a trailer, an article, and stuff, definitely email like John at Prime Homes, uh, and we'll definitely cover yeah. that and talk extensively about it yeah well we always get article recommendation from you guys and we love them because it helps us out a ton so keep them coming keep uh uh sharing and letting us know what it is you want and if you find value like always give us a thumbs up share with your friends and we will be back next friday 8 a.m on this channel on this network we will see you all time. then have a great weekend Bye bye